You're listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. So I've always been a, a really, 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 really vivid dreamer. Like, like dreams worthy of being like on the Twilight Zone or maybe you've seen Netflix's Black Mirror. And it's been that way for as long as I can remember. It, it runs in my family. Like, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, like, not everyone sees a technicolor vision every time they close their eyes. In fact, I had one last night that was so crystal clear that I got up in the middle of the night and went into the kitchen because I was sure that someone was in my house and was calling my name. It was almost like Old Testament-y. But there was a time in my life where my dreams and visions ceased. It was 20 years ago, and I had just fallen deep into drugs and alcohol. And though I was really, really busy trying to get loaded, I still noticed that my dreams were gone. In fact, it was the very first thing I noticed, and it made me sad. But then years later, when it came time for me to get sober, the very first sign that I was nearing the end of withdrawal was that my mind exploded with dreams and all their vibrant colors once again. It was as if God breathed her ruach, the divine breath, into me once again, joining soul to body, awakening the image of God that had been dormant and lifeless in me for so long. I was once again alive to my eternal life, not merely surviving, but dreaming. This week I've been thinking a lot about dreams and and also about when we lose them. Because dreams are what tell me that I'm really alive. And that life is not limited to what I experienced during the preceding 24 hours or to any of the other 14,416 days that I have been on this earth or even to the approximately 13.8 billion years that the universe has existed. We are not limited by what has come before. We are not limited by how our family, families think things should be or by our churches or our government or the patriarchy, the status quo, the culture, or even by our science. Because our dreams open that divine inner eye that lies within us all, what the great mystics call the mind of God. And it is there in that place where where we lose all control, that God opens up all possibilities. Because in our dreams, all rules are broken. The kingdoms of our waking life come crumbling down, and we break free from the shackles of convention and custom. 
that just because it's always been this way doesn't mean that it will stay that way. And so God slips into the secret corners of our hearts and whispers to us that this crazy, scandalous, out-of-this-world thing we call faith is not a fool's errand. It's our birthright. By 32 weeks, a child in the womb spends 90 to 95% of the time in REM sleep, rapid eye movement, which is the state in which dreams are born. Before we even take our first breath, we, all of us, are literally baptized in dreams. And from that moment forward, our dreams call us to life, a never-ending, infinitely expansive, eternal life with God. Dreams are the birthplace of the gospel. The good news that God is already and always making a new heaven and a new earth, and that there is life to be found beyond the veil. And so since dreams are the birthplace of all our hope, I decided this Advent to tinker with the lectionary a little bit just so that we could hear today's gospel. It's a part of the Advent story that we don't get to hear that often. It's kind of like this weird appendage that's stuck onto what feels like the real story of Christmas and as if it were kind of optional. Like in your typical Christmas pageant, I don't know about you, but the ones I've seen, you always get the Annunciation. You always get no room for them in the end, the manger, angels, shepherds, even the wise men. But I can't really remember a pageant where Joseph threatens to divorce Mary, suspecting she had an affair, but then God sends an angel into his dreams to clean up the mess. I mean, it's almost like a biblical episode of the Jerry Springer show, complete with a divine paternity test. (laughs) But I'm not, honestly, I'm not really surprised that Matthew begins the story of the birth of the Messiah in this way. So many of the great stories of liberation in the Old Testament begin with a dream. Jacob's ladder Joseph's dream about all those skinny cows. King Solomon chooses wisdom in a dream. Daniel sees the Son of Man. King Nebuchadnezzar dreams that his kingdom will one day come to an end. In fact, of the 21 dreams that are recorded in Scripture, 10 of them happen to be in Genesis. So from the very beginning... Our faith was born from the dreams of the children of God who saw that the violence and destruction, the suffering and the exploitation of the vulnerable will not last forever. That a new day is dawning and our dreams are God's promise of that new day. And so it was with Joseph of Nazareth. Through his dream, God begins the greatest liberation story of them all. Jesus Christ, as the song says, 
in whose name all oppression shall cease. But we actually don't know a lot about Joseph. Like, what we heard today is the most any of the Gospels ever say about him. The Gospel of Mark doesn't even mention him. He calls Jesus the son of Mary. It's as if he doesn't even matter. For centuries, Joseph has been depicted in art and in manger scenes as an old man. And that's to explain his absence from the story on account of him dying young. But we don't know that. It doesn't say that anywhere. So, like, I kind of I kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, everybody else in the story gets such a prominent role, and Joseph just disappears into the background. So I, f- I feel a, a little bad. But honestly, not, not really that bad, because throughout the Old Testament, the heroes of faith, they're almost always the fathers. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, David... Even when the miracle of faith is the woman getting pregnant, the one who gets all the credit is the man. But in the story of Jesus' birth, it's totally the opposite. We still get the part about God telling a man that his wife will have a child, but this time it's not his baby. Like It's such a stark reversal of the way that the story normally goes, it's, I mean, it's as if God was trying to make a point. It's as if God was saying that the way we see things isn't the way that things actually are. And that this Messiah, this God in human flesh about to be born, would overturn all the ways that we think things should be and turn them on their heads even if it bruises a man's pride and robs him of the privilege society has always given him. Because the honor of a man and father, that was the most important thing in that society. In many ways, it's still like that today. The resistance of men to the rise of power among women Queer and transgender folks is still astounding, even in our own country. But 2,000 years ago, a man's privilege, especially over his wife and children, was unquestioned. They were his property. So when Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant, that's the worst news he could have ever heard. That's all his honor, all of his status in the community, wiped away in the blink of an eye. I mean, he didn't have a choice, right? That's just the way that it was. That's all that he knew. But then he has a dream. And in that dream, all that he ever knew, all that he thought was possible, changed forever. Because God, God reached down into Joseph and told him that there is something greater than honor 
something greater than the family values of his father and his father's father, greater than all the men pointing at him in the village and sending them their Christmas cards of their perfect-looking families. Greater even than the empire in which he was told his worth was in keeping his family, his property, in line. No, God reached down and invaded the most guarded, the most protected part of Joseph. And when he wasn't even aware. And in that moment, God gave him a dream that his story, like our story, doesn't have to play out like everybody tells us it has to. Because something greater was coming into the world, and that something is the great liberator, the great dream weaver, Jesus the Christ, who was and is still coming into this world so that we can all dream again. And I, I don't know about you, but this Christmas, that's, that's really all that I need. That's all that I need to dream. To dream that God really is making all things new and that just because I may may not always feel like that's true today or yesterday or even the day before, I, I am not limited. We are not limited by what we have known up until this very second. All that has been is not all that will be. And that the miracle of Christmas is real. God is preparing a life for us beyond what we know. Because we are not, we are not who others want us to be. We are not who our families say we are at Christmas dinner. We are not the bills, the jobs, the relationships, or the heartache that we can't stop thinking about when we lie awake at night. But what we are, what we are is the beloved, infinite, always changing, eternal image of God that comes to us in our dreams. Because it's then that we lay down our defenses and our ego, and our anxiety, and we just let go. My kindred in Christ, God is waiting to be born again in you this Christmas. God is waiting to teach you to dream again. May it be so. Amen, and Merry Christmas. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.